Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, this is our last sermon in the the sermon series to live. The very last message from the book of Philippians. So I'm excited, um, you know, not because we're done, but but just because we've made it through one more book of the Bible. We've spent time together in one more book of the Bible. And so uh, next Starting next week and then on throughout the rest of the year, we're actually going to be going through the Old Testament kind of story by story and seeing how it reflects Christ and how you will be able to see Jesus in nearly every story in the Old Testament and how it still has a, a place in our devotional and learning lives as Christians. So, of course, to live is based on this one verse, Philippians 1.21, in which Paul tells the Philippian church and all of us that for, for him and for all of us, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so we have this opportunity as believers to have a life that is focused on Jesus Christ, giving of ourselves completely for his glory and the good of others, and then knowing that when this life ends and death visits... It only gets better for those who have made Jesus their Lord and Savior. So we we have this, this beautiful encouragement. So Paul commands us then to live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because living is for him. Because death will be gain. Let's take this life that we have and live it for Jesus. And he goes through and highlights what that would look like in suffering and faithful witness, in humility and service, and then in sound doctrine and practice. And it has concluded with this idea that to live Christ is to rejoice and forgive and pray and think and do in order that your everyday life and experience might be Christocentric, Jesus-focused. And last week we talked about in his little P.S., one of the misused verses that we see in Christian culture and what it really means, talking about being able to do everything in Christ, in Him who gives us strength. It is a verse, a passage, a teaching focused on suffering and being able to walk through anything in life because of the strength that comes to us through our relationship in Christ Jesus. And now we are going to get to this last little bit of passage here, Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 23, that will wrap up the letter of Paul to the church in Philippi. And believe it or not, we're going to see some Palm Sunday in this as well. So here we go. Let's read together in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 15. And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance." I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. 
And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul has this this second thought in his P.S. as he continues to to wrap up his letter to the church in Philippi. And he reminds them of their early days working together to share the gospel. Now this, this whole book, this whole letter has been focused on from the very beginning. Paul and the Philippian church and their partnership in sharing the gospel. And what that will look like as they live out their faith together. And as he gets to the end of the letter, he reminds the church that they were the only ones who supported him in his early days of ministry after he had left Macedonia. Now, if you remember Macedonia, it's kind of northern Greece, up where Philippi and Thessalonica are. And and he tells the Philippian church that no other church had shared with him in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. In other words, the Philippian church are the only ones in this era of Paul's life, his uh, era of mission work, that were regularly sending him support that he might pray for them and bless them with his teaching and his leadership and letters back to them. And so we see that, that this is, is recorded not just here in, in Philippians, but also in 2 Corinthians, another letter that Paul had wrote. Uh, It was to the church in Corinth, and he said this, When I was present with you and in need, I did not burden anyone. So the church in Corinth, Paul didn't take any money from them because he said, The brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. So it was the, the church in Philippi that was sending money and resources to Paul as he was on his missionary journeys so that he didn't have to ask for money from the people he was trying to share the gospel with. So Paul had the privilege of preaching without worrying about where his next meals were going to come from or where he was going to to be able to stay because churches like the church in Philippi were faithfully supplying his needs. And early in this process, it was only the church in Philippi that was supporting him. And so he is thankful to this church. In fact, he says this, For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Now, what's interesting is if we read in Acts chapter 17, which is the story of Paul's missionary works, we find out that Paul had gone to Philippi and then had to leave because of some circumstances. And then he ends up in Thessalonica, a city not very far away, still in Macedonia. And in that city, he begins to preach the gospel. He begins to to share the good news of Jesus Christ, first in the synagogues and then out in the streets. And the Philippian church was already supporting him in the next city. They were so excited about the gospel. They were so ready to give and support the work of missions that they started giving immediately. As soon as Paul left their city, they started sending people with resources and money to help meet his needs so that he could share the gospel. So, for even in Thessalonica, the next city I visited after yours, you sent gifts for my need, not just once, but several times. So this church was faithful, not just a single gift, not just a, hey, let's all get together and bless Paul once, 
But instead, they were regularly sending resources Paul's way so that he could do the work of the ministry without having to worry about having his needs met. But he says this to them in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. You see, Paul understood something about the the Philippian church's giving. And and by transference, by the nature of how Scripture works, it's about our giving too, about our church's giving, about our individual lives and our giving. That when we give to the work of the ministry, it's not for the sake of the ministry that we give ultimately. It's actually for the sake of the kingdom of God and, and our relationship with God and the way that He accounts our giving, the way that he keeps track of our giving. Now, some of us are really keen on making sure that we get that end of the year statement uh, so that we can get our giving taken off of taxes. That's, that's really important and it's critical, right? I mean, we give sometimes just to get that letter. And if we didn't get that letter, it, giving might not be quite as worthwhile in our minds. But Paul tells the Philippian church and all of us, that someone much more important than Frank is keeping track of what's going on in your giving. Someone much more important than the church treasurer is keeping accounts. And that is God himself. He is keeping account of your giving. He is keeping account of your, your sacrifice. He is keeping account of your willingness to support the work of the ministry even when it doesn't benefit you this side of eternity. Jesus himself talks about this. But, but it, when Paul says it, I seek the profit that is increasing to your account, he's not using some sort of spiritual terminology. He's literally using accounting terminology. He's saying, listen, somebody is keeping track of your giving. And I want you to give, not for my benefit, but for yours. And, and he's painting this picture for the Philippian church and for all of us of value stored up in eternity, value stored up in heaven. And like I said, Jesus himself speaks of this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus talks about giving, he says this, don't store up for yourselves treasures on, on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heavens, in heaven, not heavens, in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says there is an accounting going on, and he's not just talking about uh, uh, a little bit of money coming in here and there. He's saying where you store up the bulk of your wealth, whether this side of eternity or on the other side of eternity. That's what reveals your real focus in this life. Take time to intentionally give in such a way that you build the kingdom of God and account to yourself treasures in heaven. I mean, that's really what Paul is is, is talking about here. When he says, I want you to profit I want your account to increase. I want your treasures in heaven to grow, church. I want you to give generously, not for my sake, but for your sake. 
I want you to be able to give open-handedly so that you might experience the blessings of God this side of, eter- of eternity and on the other side as well. And, and this isn't something that Jesus just says once. In talking to the rich young ruler, Jesus says this, this, if you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now we, we, we know in this story of, of Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler, this man was wealthy beyond compare for many of us and his wealth was his God. And Jesus is telling him, go abandon your idol of wealth. And when you do so, you will store up for yourself treasures in heaven, and then you will finally come to a place where you can follow me, where you can really be my disciple. Now, the command is not the same for all of us, go give away everything and follow me, but the concept fits all of our lives. The things of this earth should not be our God. And we should hold on to these things loosely and understand that by letting them go, into especially kingdom work and serving others that we will store up for ourselves treasures in heaven and make discipleship, the following after Christ, much more fruitful in our lives. If money is your idol, if money is your God, you will not be able to serve Christ Jesus in the same way as if you are able to release those things and then pursue Him as God alone. And, and so it's, it's really important to understand that to hold on to the things of this earth, to hold on to the, the wealth that we've been blessed with, to hold on to the things that we've been given, it must be, they must be held on to loosely. They, they must be things that we are willing to give at, at the, the, the behest of, of, of God, that His kingdom might be blessed and that we might see treasures in eternity. And, and I realize that these kinds of things get misused by money grubbing preachers all the time. Right? And so I, I stand back and say, I, I don't want you to hear the words coming out of my mouth like they say them. Send me money and watch me have a private jet and watch me have a mansion and, and, and watch me have all these things because God's blessing me because you're giving money and you'll be blessed too someday when we get to heaven. I mean, I can't prove it and uh, you just have to believe it, right? But I'm blessed now because I'm the preacher. These verses, gets, they get misused. They get, they get twisted up. But when we see Paul and, and we see the kind of person in Scripture that is to benefit, the kind of ministry in Scripture that is to benefit from our giving, it's completely different, isn't it? Paul worked on the side. Paul was willing to experience prison and hunger and nakedness and shipwreck and death for the sake of the gospel. I dare say Kenneth Copeland is not ready to volunteer to give his life for the sake of Jesus Christ. And maybe I'm condemning a brother unjustly, but I don't think I am. I think he would be the first one to say, you first, (laughs) when it comes to dying. Instead of being like Paul and saying, me first, for the sake of the gospel. I don't think many of the, the big smiley preachers that we see on television that are asking for our money 
would look like Paul or do look like Paul in any way. But when we do find a church where the leadership looks like Paul, we do find a ministry that, that, that people who are doing the work of the ministry are willing to sacrifice even to the point of death, then we should be willing to store up treasures in heaven by giving to and through them. When we see need in our own congregation, we should be willing to give quietly, secretly, without the tax deduction in order to meet the needs of someone else. This is how we store up treasures in heaven. This is, this is what Paul is talking about, having an accounting to your good because of your willingness to give. And so I, I want to encourage you, when you think about these verses, when you think about giving, when you think about your resources, I'm not telling you give so you can have more and you can be wealthy on this side of the world. I am telling you that you give in order to build the kingdom of God and you give to works that are good stewards and you give to teachers that are teaching well and faithfully and living reasonably and and you give to, to things that matter in the kingdom of God and know that when you give, God is keeping account and there will be blessing to follow. If not in this life, then certainly in the next. And then Paul says this, about the Philippian church and what they've been giving. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. That's interesting. If we remember, where is Paul? He's in Rome. He's under house arrest. He has to have people send money and resources to meet his basic needs. Because he's under house arrest, it's believed that he was paying rent for the home he was in in order to be chained to two guards all day, every day while he lived there. He was unable to work, and so he was completely dependent upon others. And here's what he says, I have everything I need, guys. I am in a perfect place. God is so good. And what you sent, it filled me up to full. What, what you gave, it went over and above what I expected, and I am so thankful for you. And here's what I know about what you gave. It is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. It is pleasing to God. Paul says that that when the Philippian church gave, when we as believers, when we give, and we give with the intent of meeting needs and seeing the kingdom of God built up, that God receives those offerings as fragrant, as acceptable, as pleasing to Him. And so when we give, it's not just... Yeah, I did my duty. Here we go. But, but we are actually doing something that God takes great pleasure in. That God is, is, is smiling because of, if we're going to anthropomorphize God, if we're going to make him have human characteristics, we can picture him smiling at, at the gifts that we give when we give with grace, when we give with, with open hearts, when we give to build the kingdom, when we give to meet the needs of others. And when he talks about this fragrant offering, this acceptable sacrifice, we see it a couple of times in the Old Testament. It's a picture of Old Testament sacrifices of animals. 
And when animals were sacrificed and, and burned upon the altar, that, that it, it said that God would smell the smoke and, and would be pleased, as a, receive it as a fragrant offering. Now, first of all, I've smelled burning flesh and it's not that happy. Um, but but, 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 but it's, it's not that God sits up there and goes, oh, they're burning steaks again. But it is instead this willingness to give what's valuable. This willingness. Do you understand just how valuable an animal is in an agrarian culture? Right? We're not talking about just we picked up a stray. Here you go, God. But, but this is something that's been nurtured and loved and cared for. This is something that has great value if I'm able to milk it or sell it or slaughter it. And all of it is going to God. And it's not that he says, mm, I love the smell of burning meat. But instead it is, I love when my people give and give generously and don't withhold this acceptable sacrifice, it actually in Ezekiel says that when God's faithful people were, will return into the promised land, that it will be like a sweet-smelling and acceptable sacrifice to God. The very faithfulness of His people, God finds pleasing. He finds acceptable. Something He likes to have. And so when Paul's talking about the giving of the Philippian church being this fragrant offering, this, this acceptable sacrifice, he's saying that God is deeply pleased by their giving. And the same can be true for us when we give sacrificially, when we give not just uh, the, the extra that we have, but we give the things that are critical and important to us, and we give to God to see His kingdom grow, to meet the needs of other believers, He will be pleased when we do so. This isn't just some sort of, oh, I'm doing it out of my duty so He won't strike me with lightning, but it is understand God finds your giving of yourself and your resources to His kingdom, to His ministry, to His people, pleasing and so you can think when you, when you drop your money in the offering box and you do it with a cheerful heart, like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 9, when you do it sacrificially like he really is talking about here, you can know that your giving is pleasing to God. It's not just a, now he won't kill me, but it is instead, my God is pleased with me. I bring him joy. I bring him pleasure by giving like this. Hebrews 13, 16 says this, Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Don't neglect. Don't forget to do what's good. Don't forget to share what's been given to you. Your time, your experiences, your finances. Don't forget to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Not just... He, he, they're acceptable and He won't smite us, but instead we bring pleasure to the Almighty when we do good and share. Does, isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that something that kind of revolutionizes? Instead of, well, I'll give because I have to, I will give because it makes Him happy. I will give of myself, I'll give of my resources, I will give of my time. I mean, I, I'm not the greatest husband. And, and 
Shelly can shake her head or not. I don't, I don't, just, I'll admit it. I'm not the greatest husband. I've seen them on TV, the Lifetime movie and the Hallmark movies. I'm not that guy, right? But every once in a while, I remember to do something like bring flowers. And, and, and what's significant about flowers? Well, they're useless, right? And they're expensive and they're pretty. And sometimes I remember to bring flowers. And when I remember to bring flowers, I remember why I should remember to bring flowers. Because she's pleased. Because it makes her smile. I mean, the same is true for certain meals I make as well. So I make those meals, you know. And, and, and the things that I do, you know, picking up socks, right? Flushing the toilet. That, you know, I mean, little things. But why do we do these things, guys? We do these things because it brings pleasure. Not, not, not because we feel like we have to, oh, she's going to kill me if I don't flush. No, it's, it's because you, you want her to be happy. Wives, you do the same thing for your husbands. We do it for friends. We should do it for other family members. Why do we do these things? Because they bring pleasure to those we do them for. Understand that when you give, when you serve, it's not just some sort of rote Thing, a ritual that you have to do. It is instead your opportunity to bring pleasure to your Almighty God. Now, Paul, he says this in response to the Philippian church's giving And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, Last week, we talked about a verse that gets taken out of context, you know, used to convince us that we can win football games or hang off of cliffs because of the power of Christ in us. And this is another verse in Paul's summary of Philippians that gets misused. If you give a lot of money or plant this seed, God's going to meet all your needs and not just sort of meet them, but according to all his riches. And God owns everything. So God will give you everything that you need and want and dream of and claim. And it'll probably be gold-plated and you'll get two of each. And it's just going to be amazing. And if it doesn't happen, you either didn't give enough or you didn't believe. Yeah. That's not what Paul's saying here. This is not Paul saying, give more money so God can give you more stuff. This is Paul saying, when you give sacrificially, I am confident that God will meet your needs. Now, if we remember and we look back just to chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What are the all things? What, what is the all? What's really, it's about suffering, isn't it? It's about dark times. It's about being naked and hungry and shipwrecked and beat. And Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, when you give, I want you to know that God will meet all your needs, but defined by the contentment we've already talked about. Not all your needs because you named it and claimed it and you want to be able to drive it, but instead all of your needs, even in the midst of nakedness and hunger and cold and beatings and imprisonment, he will still fulfill your deepest needs. Now sometimes he'll fulfill your needs and it'll be good stuff. There might be steak or at the very least kosher hot dogs. 
right? Sometimes you'll get the good stuff. Sometimes there'll be blessings. Sometimes there'll be overabundance. And that's still God meeting your needs, but sometimes they'll be next to nothing. And guess what? That's still God meeting your needs. Because the goal here is not for you to have lots of stuff. It is that you learn how to live a life of sacrificial giving of yourself, of your things, of, of, of who you are for the sake of the kingdom of God. And as you give sacrificially, God will continue to meet your every need. How do we know he's talking about sacrificial giving? Here's how we know. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, through 4. Paul actually talks about the giving of the churches in Macedonia, of which Philippi was one. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. So Paul says, this is actually the grace of God at work in the lives of the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. When Paul tells the church in Corinth about the church in Philippi, he says, they were blessed by God with the privilege of giving generously out of their extreme poverty and they actually begged us to be able to do it this philippian church when paul says thank you for giving to me he understands they were not rolling in the dough and just you know slapping out c notes so that he could live the high life but these believers were actually living in poverty at times And they gave not just what they had, but even more than what they should have given for the sake of the ministry. So when we go back to this verse, when we go back to what Paul says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We're not talking about some sort of transactional thing that 21st century Christianity likes to think giving is, where you give a seed and then God blesses you with a whole lot more. What we're talking about is that the Philippian church has already lived a lifestyle of giving to where they had nothing left to give and then still tried to give more. And Paul says, in that kind of circumstance, I know that God's going to meet your needs. I know that he is going to keep you. He's going to provide for you. And you may be hungry and you may be cold and you may some weeks, heaven forbid, be naked. Especially don't want you coming to church like that. But, but that may be your circumstances and yet the deepest of your needs will always be met because of the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. Because of his riches in glory. Here's, um, here's what we see Jesus say. Matthew chapter 6, a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount than when he had talked about storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. He says this, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness 
And all these things will be provided for you. All these things, what are all these things? What we eat, what we drink, and what we wear. Those are all the things God promises to provide. If we look a little bit more into this, it could also include some place to lay your head. What's God's provision? It's not Cadillacs. It's not eight rooms or ten rooms or a swimming pool or a bowling alley in your home. It is what you will need to eat, what you need to drink, and clothes for your back. But God promises for those who are His and faithful and seeking first His kingdom, by holding on loosely to the things of this world, He promises to always meet those needs for us. And not some sort of physical need really is, is, is what he's talking about. It's, it's according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is a beautiful, heavenly, a spiritual source. It's, it's interesting that Paul doesn't say according to his dominion and possession of all the world. Right? Because that, that would make more sense. God's going to meet your needs because he owns everything. Wouldn't that make more sense? Except Paul says he's going to meet your needs because he has everything you need according to Christ Jesus. In other words... Even in this, Paul's focus was not upon the physical. Our focus should not be upon the physical, but upon what Christ Jesus has done for us. Upon how he's, he's already met the most important of our needs. And that, that kind of answers, I'm answering this question before I even get to it. Why was Paul so confident in God's provision? Why was he certain that God would meet the needs of the Philippian church when they gave, when they gave sacrificially, when they gave out of their poverty in order to support the kingdom of God and the ministries that God had established? Why was Paul so confident? Because of what God has already done for everyone who believes on Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. What we see here, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry in Luke chapter 19, verses 35 through 38. Jesus sent his disciples to go find the colt of the donkey. And it says this, After throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the Lord, name of the Lord. Hosanna. Do you know what it means? Come, Lord, save us. Come, Lord, save us. And here is Jesus riding in on a donkey colt, and everyone is crying out and praising him and blessing him and saying, Come, Lord, save us. And guess what happened? He did. And he can. And he does for all who would believe on him. Now, he did not come and save them in the way they thought. He didn't come and save them according to their physical needs. He didn't come and free them from political oppression by the Roman government. Instead, he came and he freed them according to all of his riches stored up in glory. He freed them and gave them salvation and can do the same for all of us who would believe on him as Lord and Savior. 
Now, why is Paul so confident that the church in Philippi is going to have clothes to wear and enough to eat and enough to drink? Because God has already chosen to give them the most important thing they could ever need. And that was salvation through Christ Jesus. And it isn't some sort of accident. It isn't some sort of, oops, now we have to save people. But instead, we need to understand that God the Father ordained it. Jesus the Son walked in obedience and was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we see all of the Trinity working together to purchase our salvation, to provide for us this newness of life. Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, Peter's preaching to the the crowd in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, and says this, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. Speaking of Jesus, God's plan was to redeem you. God's plan was to provide for you. This isn't some sort of accident. This isn't some sort of, oops, we got to play catch up. It is God wanted you rescued from sin. And that's why Jesus came. He has already chosen, chosen to meet your deepest need if you will only believe on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if he's willing to pay such a high price for such a need as that, won't he also with that meet our most basic physical needs? If he's been so good and paid so much, won't he continue to meet our needs? So you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. You see, God has already provided our greatest need, salvation. Why can Paul be confident that God will meet our basic physical needs when we give, when we are sacrificial, when we serve with all that we are, when we pour ourselves out into the ministry of God? Because God has already provided the most important need in our life, and that's salvation. And this provision was made by God himself, and it was... God himself. You see, it wasn't just that God did it. It was the sacrifice, the payment, the thing that brings salvation is both his plan and himself. And so if he is willing to give himself for you to save you, Will he not also with that give what you need for daily life when you give of yourself in service to him? I mean, that's, that's where Paul gets his confidence. That's where we should get our confidence. If I was valuable enough for Jesus to die on the cross and rise again, then I know I'm valuable enough to get a sandwich if I need it. I know, I know he'll provide the cover for my body when I need it. Why should I not be more willing to give sacrificially? What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? The answer to who is against us? No one. At least nobody that matters. If God is for us, no one that matters can be against us. If God has already given us what we need 
for salvation, will he not also give us what we need for everyday life? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? In other words, he already paid for your life. Will he not provide for you when you follow after him? 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us some of the things required for life and godliness. No, everything required for life and godliness. Everything we need has been given to us by God through Christ Jesus, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Ooh, that slide jumped. And that brings us to the very end of the letter. Paul just gets excited about God. When he says God's going to provide all of your needs, when, when he says Christ is going to be your strength, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, some of us, we read scripture and we, we get this a little dry. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Can you imagine? I mean, Paul is actually excited talking about the provision of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, you could just picture him being instead just this, this, this radically excited, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, that was maybe a little bit too over the top, but you get the picture. There should be some excitement as we read this, as we understand God's provision for us. And then he closes out the letter with just these, these greetings. This is a normal way to close out a letter in his day and age. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus and some of us think, if we remember back, we're not just talking about the people with statues, but everyone who is in Christ Jesus is a saint. So greet everybody who's in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Paul is in prison in Rome, and he is witnessing to people, and people who are in Caesar's household are coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. How cool is that? What excuse do we have to not share our faith? We're not in prison. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, in just wrapping up this last little bit of the letter to us through the Philippian church, I want to encourage you to, to make a couple of choices today. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to consider turning to God for your most important need and that is salvation. I got to tell you what, you can have everything in the world. You can be the richest person in the world, and it just depends on which internet site uh, you, you go to, you know, and as to who's the richest. There's some secret guy somewhere who's probably the richest, right? Some secret lady pulling all the strings. Look, you could be that person, whoever you can imagine is the most wealthy and powerful person in the world, and without Jesus Christ their life will end in destruction, period. Your life is one that needs Jesus too. And what do we mean by that? Well, what we mean, of course, is to remember that we were created by God, that he lovingly shaped us, but with a purpose, to be responsible to him, to be obedient to him, but all of us have chosen to rebel against God 
to violate his standards, to sin against him. And by rebelling against God, we have earned for ourselves his judgment, his wrath, and ultimately death. And the death that we're talking about is not just a physical death, it is an eternal death, an experience of punishment for eternity. We talk about the lake of fire or hell. Whatever, whatever name you want to give to it, it doesn't matter. The experience is not one you want to have. But that's what you deserve because of your rebellion against God. But God loved each and every one of us so very much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He walked into Jerusalem and rode a donkey into Jerusalem on that day. And everyone said, Hosanna, come Lord, save us. And guess what? He did. But he didn't become king of the world that day in some physical way. He became king of the world by providing for all of us. He died on the cross to absorb the wrath of God, to give his life, In our place, he died that we don't have to. And God proved he is the Savior, he is the Christ, he is the King of it all by raising him up from the dead on the third day. And then the declaration is all who will believe on him can be saved. Your greatest need today is not lunch or shoes or that thing you're thinking about ordering off of Amazon or you're shopping for right now? That's not your greatest need today. Your greatest need today is salvation through God, or salvation through Christ. That's your greatest need today, peace with God. And if you've never made that choice to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have never made that profession of faith in which you believe that God has raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord. If you've never done that, that's your first step to having your needs met, is to have your greatest need met, salvation. For those of you who have trusted Christ for your salvation, who've had that first need met, come to a point in your walk with God where you learn how to serve him sacrificially. And what does it mean to sacrifice? It means to be like the Philippian church to give in places where sometimes it will hurt. And I'm not just talking about money, right? Because sometimes it's really easy to give money. What's even harder sometimes is to give of yourself, to sit with the person and talk with them when they annoy you. To, To drive someone who's sick to the doctor's office, to provide a meal for someone to meet a basic need. Learn how to serve God sacrificially in any facet, in every facet of life. And then get to a place where you are learning how to trust God for your every need. And and what do I mean by that? That when God says, I want you to go here and do this, you don't go, oh no, I can't do that. You go, I can because I know you'll meet my needs along the way. And sometimes those are physical needs. Sometimes those are emotional needs, right? When we talk about sitting and talking with somebody that you're struggling with, know that God will meet your need there too. And then finally, come to a place where you actually get excited about your faith. Rejoice in what God has done for you already and what he promises to do tomorrow. 
For to me, or for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the, the truth of the letter of Paul to the Philippians. This life, lived rightly for the believer, is all about Jesus. And this life is not all there is. And what is to come is even better than what is today. And so, hopefully, in all these weeks, in the letter of Paul to the church in Philippi and to us, you have learned to wrap your head around the idea that you can live for Christ with the knowledge that this life, well invested, will result in gain in the next. Let's pray together as the worship team makes their way up. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this time. We pray that you would just continue to open our hearts and our minds to what you have done for us. Father, this morning, if anyone has come to the realization that they need to trust your son, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior and have that first and most important need met, I pray that they would be bold enough to talk to someone else to just ask questions about what does it mean? How do I get saved? And then come to a place where they know that you've met that need in their lives. And Father, for those of us who have trusted Jesus as our Savior, we've had that first need of salvation met. Help us to, to learn more every day how we can live sacrificially, how we can trust you for our every need. That we don't have to be afraid, we don't have to be concerned about what's next, but we can rest in the words of yourself, Lord Jesus, that when we seek first your kingdom, when we seek first your righteousness, all of these things, all of these needs will be met. And bring us to a place where rejoicing happens all the more, where we can look at how you've blessed us where we see in our mind's eye the picture of you riding in on a donkey, crucified on a cross, walking out of a tomb that will be empty in just mere seconds. Help us to see these things and to rejoice in you meeting our needs. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you are and do. Continue to speak to us throughout this day as we just meditate on and ruminate on what you've given to us. In your name we pray this morning. Amen.
may you just know the blessings of God today. May you be able to see where you can give, serve, live sacrificially that you might experience the great provision of God in ways that you thought were impossible previously. Enjoy your Palm Sunday. Look forward to seeing many of you here tonight for dinner. And then, of course, we've got Bible studies throughout the week. Monday night study, Wednesday night ladies study, Thursday youth group, and uh, then oh, and Thursday the, uh, the ladies uh, hope Bible roundtable stuff. So lots of great things coming on. Remember, next Sunday, 9 o'clock a.m. outdoor service, 9.45 breakfast, no Sunday school, 10.30 service time. So we can be done by noon and still get an Easter egg hunt in. So God bless you guys. Enjoy this holy week. See you good Friday. Good Friday morning for the crosswalk. Good Friday night for the night of worship. See you all later. God bless.